Uh, good morning. Uh, it's good, good to be here uh, with you all. It's an interesting season for me and I can't help but talk about it because I'm, I'm pretty excited and expectant. So uh, two weeks and five days. So if I'm not here over the next couple of Sundays, you know where I'll be. Uh, I've got my first little baby coming, a little girl. So I've been trying to prepare. Some of you might think I don't need to. I do, but regarding, um, you know, getting into the whole storytelling and games and things. So this morning I wanted to do a bit of show and tell um, and I thought I'd bring you in into my life. Yesterday Emma and I got given a gift and I hope God wasn't speaking through it, but um, it's goodnight stories for rebel girls. And um, we've had a few people say that she's going to like look beautiful like Emma but be rebellious like me. Um, so we'll have to find out. So hopefully that, that wasn't a prophetic gift. Um, and then uh, another gift that's up there, probably the best thing we've been given, is this little Noah's Ark. And um, that was from Hannah, um, our kids worker here, um, Hannah and Tim. And I'm going to be able to take uh, our daughter through the story of, of Noah's Ark with all the little animals. And like two by two, giraffe, little kangaroo, zebra. And so I'm pretty excited for that. Um, I'm going to learn the song, you know, the animals marching two by two and all of that. And um, But this particular one sent me on a journey because I'm a bit of a big picture thinker sometimes. And I started thinking, well, how am I going to tell the story of, of Noah to my little daughter? Um, often they say it's a lovely story about a man who built an ark. But really at the end of the day, um, God destroyed the whole world with water and a flood. Um, and, and killed a lot of people and things. So what age do I start telling the true details? Because I don't want to be that dad that doesn't tell the whole story so that she finds out at school. And so that sent me on a journey. Uh, are you following me? And I started thinking, well, that's really important because I'm going to be portraying to this this child who God is. So there's a story of animals. That's fun. I could start there. Uh, then it's a really cool about a man who could build, not like your dad, but God made this man who could build, and he built an ark. Maybe when she's older, there's a story about punishment and judgment, and, and we read in Genesis 6 that, that God actually regretted making humans, which is a huge statement in Genesis 6 of the Bible, that there was so much wickedness and, and sin and evil that broke God's heart because of murder and death and, and misuse of relationships that God was like, I do not, well, he did know what to do, but he, he was so heartbroken by that situation in his story that the only solution he thought was flood the world and I'll save the world through Noah. And it's this, whilst it's a sad story, there's, there's a beautiful picture of the gospel, a picture of Jesus, because Noah is actually a picture of Jesus because the world was one day, as you and I um, um here is the church, we, we believe in Jesus is the saviour of the world. And so there's a beautiful aspect to that story that points us to Jesus. And where I'm heading with this is that um, how we view the Bible and interpret a story, we could focus on the punishment and the sin and look at a God who's angry in this story of Noah, or we could actually see that, that he, he believed in us and loved us so much that he recreated the world through Noah and his family. And so depending on how you tell the story will determine and define how you then believe and view God. And so my, my final little show and tell is I've been through Kurong and uh, there wasn't, there wasn't a huge range of books that really, um, 
excited me about painting a really beautiful picture of God. But the best one I've found, I recommend it, is, is Good Good Father for Little Ones, based off um, the song Good Good Father. So I thought I'd just read it to you this morning um, as a little treat. So feel free to come on the journey with me. What was that? Good practice. Thank you. All right, listen in. What is a good, good father like? Like a king who is fair and kind. He rules with your very best in mind. Like a warrior who is strong and brave. He protects you when you are afraid. Like a teacher who helps you learn and grow. He teaches you what you need to know. Like a doctor when you have the achoos. He gives you medicine and fixes boo-boos. Like a farmer planting seeds, he grows the yummy food you need. Like a musician whose songs make you wiggle, he loves to see you dance and giggle. Like a friend who is always near, he cheerfully lends a listening ear. Like a daddy with a tender heart, he forgives you when you need a fresh start. A king, a musician, a friend, a warrior. A good, good father is all these things and more. No matter what you say or do, a good, good father never stops loving you. Good night. So that story to me is the greatest truth that a child needs to learn and the greatest truth that changed my life. And whilst as parents, grandparents, friends, we can't always give the perfect picture of God, um, we can point and, and, and point them to him who can. And so there's a, a famous quote from um, A.W. Tozer in 1978. He, he wrote The Knowledge of the Holy, and you, you've probably heard this quote, and I've got it here on the screen, that what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And and this is a little tiny bit out of a kind of 100-page book that, that talks about the knowledge of God. And there's just this truth, and there's a reason that this is such a famous uh, little bit from, from his works and books. Um, because for us, this, this truth is so important. And for the world that sees God through us, it's, it's so important. Because if we have slightly a, a, a misconstrued or, or off view of God, that could send our whole uh, mind and our hearts in, in, into a direction that, that God doesn't desire. So, what does that mean for us in this series that we've been looking at in this Sermon on, on the Mount? Um, well, to, to shoot off this, this theme of what I'm looking at is because Jesus has come. Um, this is the fourth week as we, we spend time looking at the eight Beatitudes in, in Matthew 5. And we're spending um, a few months in Matthews chapter 5, 6, and 7. And, and Jesus brings the most um, famous sermon and message ever. And it's known even in the, the secular world throughout history as some of the most radical teachings ever. Things like love your enemies, that, that even children hear about, that sharing and generosity, some incredible themes come through. And we've been focusing on this just beautiful moment where Jesus paints the blessings of those that have 
a relationship with God and at a learning and want to learn the ways of following Jesus. So Jesus goes up to the mountain just to remind us. Um, he's just been going from town to town, sharing the good news of the kingdom, not the bad news, but focusing particularly on the good news and healing people. And he's stirred up a storm and he goes up the hill, takes the disciples with him. And we read there's a crowd surrounding him in Matthew 5, but he's speaking to the disciples, those who've given up their, their fishing jobs and their nets, and they're listening now to Jesus. And Jesus says to them, um, blessed are you, blessed are you. And I've got the eight Beatitudes um, here just to remind us of this 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 blessing that, that Jesus is bringing the people back into, the blessings that you and I can have with Jesus. And for me... Um, so importantly here, before Jesus get, got to teaching them practical ethics of the kingdom and how to live this out, he spent time just focusing on, on the blessings that God has given and is now giving through Jesus. And so as I begin as looking at these images of how we view God, the question I'm wanting to ask us is, is how do you and I view God? Do we think that he's still angry or disappointed with us? Do we think that we, in our core identity, are still sinners? Recently, I was asked that I was I was heard the, the the statement and the line that spoke to me. Do you and I have more faith in our sin or in our righteousness with God? Because there's a real danger and a temptation of Satan that our that we focus so much on our sin and on our our, um, our our fallen nature, that that becomes our core identity. And so I see this all the time, particularly in youth group, because I have kids who are so honest that they will just naturally share how they think God views them. And so Emma shared with me a few weeks ago that one of the young girls said, oh, no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm too much of a sinner, that, that Jesus, he wouldn't want to do that with my life. And And this young year seven girl had this view so focused on her sin that, that no, I'm a sinner. I, I need to be saved. And, and sometimes, innocently, I hear the prayers of, of a child who'll say, God, please save me from my sins today. Please, please. And, and there's, whilst there's a beautiful part to that, there's this kind of focus so much on their sin that I wonder if they don't quite realize that their sin has been forgiven. And that the communion that we commune with together this morning is a reminder that we're no longer sinners. We're saints now who've been saved by grace. We were sinners, but now we're saints saved by grace. So often I hear that we're sinners saved by grace. Whilst it's true, it's kind of not true because we're on this side of being forgiven if we believe in Jesus. Therefore, we're no longer sinners. We're saved by grace. And and, and I guess it's, it's words and it's semantics, but it's so important. On, on how we view God viewing us and what Jesus has done for us. Another illustration and story that, that has changed my life as I've been on this journey of what it looks like to be a friend or a pastor or a youth leader, particularly with young people, was at a stage where I was hungry and thirsty. I was on a holiday in New Zealand, but I wanted to be used by God. I had been asking God to show me someone you want me to reveal God's love to them. And there I was at McDonald's with Emma, Simon and Chrissy and, and Chrissy felt led to someone at McDonald's and had a cool moment with that person. And I saw a guy in a skate park 
and it was a bit crazy, but I was young and I was, I was trying just to discover what would it be like if God used me both at church but outside of the church. So I went to the skate park, went to this guy and I said, hey, I just had on my heart, I'm, I'm sorry this is a bit weird, bro. Uh, he was about a 15-year-old skater and I said, I feel like God wants me to give you $10. And he said, what, bro? And I, I, my heart was like, oh, no, what have I done? You're young, you're stupid, this is not God's love. And he goes, Dude, if God's real, why would he want to give me $10? Because um, there's no way God likes me, loves me, or cares about me. And I said, well, that's not what I believe, man. And, and, and I said, this is really random, but I want you to keep the $10. Don't really care what you use it for. But I wanted to have this conversation that it actually doesn't matter what you've done in your life, that Jesus died for you and he loves you. And it was this absurdly minute moment. But there in this moment, I got to understand this, this young boy's view of God and him. And I see it um, just every Friday, every week here. And it's a privilege doing youth ministry um, the last over 10 years now. But particularly to try and help youth and actually help myself and help all of us come into this revelation that through Jesus 2,000 years ago, when we believe in him, that we're no longer sinful, that that's been dealt with. And if some of you are feeling like, oh, he's going down a dangerous path this morning. Is he saying that, that sin, like we're not sinners? I'm, I'm hoping that through the scriptures and through the word that I can re- help us come to a more free place that, that you and I don't have much of a sin problem anymore. Radical, I know, but let me go on a journey. So here we are on the mountain, Jesus speaks to them. In the last three weeks, we've looked at this focus on the heart because the Pharisees and the temples and the religious leaders, they were just emphasizing the the outward, the external. And so Jesus brings the start of this sermon and he says, actually, blessed are the poor in spirit, those who mourn and the meek. So that's people that are humble. That's people that are sad for the state of the world and sad for their own um, sinful nature. And those that are poor in spirit, those that realize we need God, they're they're, they're able to look at themselves and say, I'm poor and I need help. And those are positions of the heart. They're not based on status or power or hierarchy or gender or um, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile. They're based on the heart. And we've had a, a special few weeks looking at what does it look like when we bring our hearts to the light and we invite Jesus into it because here he's, he's speaking blessing over us if we bring our hearts to the light. When God created the world in Genesis 1 and 2, he blessed us and created us. And it wasn't until Genesis 3 that curse and sin entered. Now Jesus has come back and he wants us to live out of blessing, not within sin and curse and trying to get better because it just doesn't work. It's tiring, it's exhausting. And it just beats you down. And I see it in 12, 13, 14-year-olds, and it, it, it sucks seeing it. And I see it in adults that we too fall back into believing the lies of Satan that we're not good enough, that you've failed God again, that you haven't read your Bible this week, you haven't prayed enough. And we suddenly fall back into our core identity as a sinner. But you and I are no longer sinners because Christ died for us and he took the punishment. So this morning we're looking at the fourth beatitude, which is a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. 
And blessed are you that hunger and thirst, for you'll be filled. That's the promise of Jesus this morning. So as you and I search, well, what is this righteousness? And hopefully that will help us understand why our sin has been dealt with. So the word righteousness used to be a word that I wanted to stay well away from. I knew it kind of meant to be right with God. And especially as a teenager, I felt like I never could be. I've shared before, it held me back from getting baptized and I just never felt good enough in the church. I felt like there were better leaders, better speakers, people with more gifts. And I fell into this place of comparison because I'd never understood what righteousness was. I thought that I had to earn righteousness. So righteousness uh, in the Greek, it actually means um, justice or the divine approval of God. Um, but righteousness, because it is God who is the, the righteous creator and author, divine author of all things, that it, it's, it is justice, but it, it is almost God himself and nature, his nature. All moral, ethical, spiritual standards are in God because he's the beginning and the end. Um, and therefore, the righteousness of God is God, is his nature, which was his intention when he created us in his image, was to be righteous, to reflect God. And that's why we read that, that God was walking with Adam and Eve in the garden. So if God is righteousness... And he made us righteous, but then that got broken in Genesis 3. Where does it leave us today? So the word righteousness is, is, is perfection and holiness. And it's, it's being right with God where we've done nothing wrong and we don't deserve judgment. The reason, um, God had to punish the world and in the story of, of Noah's Ark was because Man had learnt good and evil, they started committing evil, and because God is righteous and he is just, he had to punish it. Unfortunately, the whole flood thing didn't fully work out because they, the sons and daughters of Noah continued in the same evil patterns. Therefore, this happened again and again, and God raised up leaders like Abraham, who became the, the father of righteousness, and then kings and prophets but eventually his final ultimate plan was to send his son, Jesus. And then Jesus came. And it's through Jesus that we get given righteousness, that we are made right. We can never, ever achieve righteousness except through Jesus in us. So if we want to look at what Matthew's trying to say, um, if you want to open your Bibles to Matthew 6.33, he continues to talk about righteousness a bit more. And by um, Matthew 6, he actually states, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of this will be given to you as well. And most writers today, when they read this, understand that seeking the kingdom and seeking righteousness, they're actually the same thing. And as we pursue them both, they're different but so similar that, that actually we receive everything through that. We receive the inheritance of heaven. We receive the comfort of God. We received the blessings of God. Therefore, um, Matthew was writing Jesus' words that, that you and I are to seek his kingdom and his righteousness. The question is, uh, have we received his righteousness? And if we have, how do we keep seeking it? That's kind of the question I had as I looked at this. I'm like, 
well, if I've been made righteous with Jesus, how do I keep hunger and thirsting for something that Jesus has already given me? And that's when I discovered that, that this word is, is just endless and vast as we pursue righteousness. In Romans um, 14, 17 and 18, we read, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. And so um, Paul as well agrees that, that righteousness, peace and joy, they're connected and they're part of the kingdom and they're gifts from Jesus. And so what is what, what am I trying to get at here is that um, we are blessed if we hunger and thirst for righteousness. He's speaking to a group of people that are just beginning to understand Jesus. And he wants them to thirst for righteousness and then they'll be filled. But if they do that, then they'll be filled. Then what do they do? It's actually a cycle that you can never stop hunger and thirsting for righteousness because righteousness is is God, the Father, Son and Spirit. It is a relationship. Therefore, as I'm filled, I pour out and then I need more hunger and thirst for righteousness. And so the question is then, that, that was spinning me out was how do we keep seeking something that we have already received? Let's turn to, um, I've got a scripture here from Romans 3. This stuff is tricky to get our heads around, but if we can, it's, it's really incredibly empowering for our hearts and our relationships with God. When Paul, um, a huge theme for him in his letters was righteousness. And so um, one of the uh, famous um, scriptures comes out of this letter to Rome and, and Paul teaches that the righteousness is given through faith in Jesus to all who believe. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus. So here Paul has learnt from Jesus to hunger and thirst for righteousness and he's been filled so much. Paul was the guy that was murdering people as a Pharisaic Jew for not being good enough in the kingdom. Now he is someone who's saying, you and me are the same. We've all fallen short through sin and and fallen short of the glory of God, but we've all been saved through Jesus. So what Paul is emphasising here is that we've been given righteousness through faith. So this morning, if you have faith in Jesus, you've been given righteousness. You are right with God. We are all right with God. He's not angry. He's not upset. He's not disappointed. He loves you. And he sees Jesus in you. He doesn't see the sin because he died for it on the cross. And so a revelation that um, a teacher brought to me a month or two ago at a retreat that really helped me was, see, I grew up hearing this scripture, that all have sinned and for sure the glory of God. And the focus was always that you've sinned, you've sinned, you've sinned, I've sinned, and we've all sinned, which was helpful. It helped me as a young lad to realize that. But as we go through the church, if we hear that every week of our life, our focus becomes so much that we've sinned and we've fallen short that that becomes my core identity, that I'm a sinner. Whereas um, this uh, this pastor that pointed out to me, I wonder if we also spent time looking at the problem of glory. That not only have you fallen short through sin, but we've fallen short of the glory of God. 
So I wonder for you and I this morning, how well do we know God's glory? And I wonder if we focused on the glory of God and what that looked like in our hearts and in our life, what would happen? Because sin has been defeated on the cross if we believe in that. So we don't actually have a sin problem because Jesus has died for it. You and I have a greater problem with glory, with the relationship of God's glory and love for us. Spurgeon in 89 said, It's this peculiar glory of the gospel that reveals the righteousness of God. The method, the method by which sinners can be put right with God comes a peculiar sweetness to one who is striving and praying and hungering and thirsting after righteousness. When he hears of righteousness by faith in the Lord, he leaps at it and lays hold upon it for exactly it meets his needs. So Spurgeon, even um, over 100, almost 150 years ago, he was grabbing hold of this idea. To uh, just point us towards it further, three more um, words of Paul in his letters, and, and then we're going to look at some stories and how to grow in, in this glory. Um, so in these letters, uh, Romans um, 6 Paul puts it like this on the next slide. Thanks be to God that you used to be slaves to sin and you have come to obey from your heart the pattern and teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I never fully understood what a becoming a slave of righteousness was because that word seems so hard, but it basically means becoming a slave of God. Um, and they used slavery because it was such a problem at the time. You and I are less familiar with it, but we know about it historically. But it's this picture of becoming like God. So instead of being a slave to sin, we've been set free from that and we get to become a slave of becoming like God, becoming like his glory and his goodness. So Paul continues and he writes to the church of Corinth now and he, in one of the most famous texts, says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Do we get that? God made Jesus who was perfect and had no sin. He became the lamb to the slaughter. He took the punishment so that you and I could be the righteousness of God. When we believe that we reflect God, that we are perfect and loved and holy and chosen, that changes you and I forever, our minds and our hearts, if we live in that each day. And that is the kind of teaching we want to bring to our friends, our family and our children, our grandchildren, that God has loved them so much he sent Jesus who has saved them and made them perfect and right with God when they put their faith In Jesus, he goes on and says, now he, God, who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. This uh, mindset that that we can become slaves of God and his righteousness and his goodness can, can change our lives. Um, this became really um, true to me in a community um, up in North Queensland. I've told stories about before um, in Yarrabah, just near Cairns, and and this is a, a a bit of a pain in in Australia, and it's a it's a place that needs healing and continued um, love of God. But I've got a photo, and this represents a, a problem in a lot of our churches, but but also particularly um, through the gospel that was brought 
um, to first people of Australia and a, a lot of Aboriginal communities. Um, whilst there's a lot in my experience comes from this particular one, um, just out of Cairns. And it's a beautiful um, um, few thousand people live there. And this is a picture in their backyard where they're um, worshipping God but using their dance and their culture. And one of the, I've been there about six times and just, I go um, twice a year to encourage them in their, their walk with God. But one of the things that I've discovered is that they, unfortunately, through when um, Jesus was brought to them and they were told to get rid of their language and to start following Jesus like the white fella. And so they have this unfortunate belief that who they are, their language, their land, their people, that didn't really work with God. So you need to become like the colonies that have come out from Europe. Now, that was obviously 100 or 200 years ago now. Yet in 2018, there's a still a spirit of religion where they are still wrestling with what does it look like to follow Jesus with the culture and the language that God gave them. And I share this as an illustration because as I hang out with them and pray with them and walk with them and learn from them and they teach me, one of the things that has broken my heart is I see them in these cycles of shame and guilt and feeling like God doesn't really love them. He doesn't really love their culture and, and their village and, or their community. And this sent me on a journey of reflecting in, in my life. It was a similar problem when I was a teenager. I used to think that, you know, if I partied less and I drunk less, then God would love me more. But I never understood that God just wanted a relationship with me and wanted me to believe that he loved me. And as I thirsted and hungered for his love, that's what stopped me going down a path of darkness and partying and drinking and things of the world that that weren't helpful for anyone. And so there's a concept that um, we've been growing and exploring at Chicago Youth, which I've got here, called belief transformation versus behavior management. And, and one of the dangers, um, and in the history of the church and even in youth ministry is you get all these, and we've got a lot of them, naughty kids that come in. And the temptation is that we just want to manage their behaviors. You need to stop swearing. You need to stop doing this, that, and this. And then you need to give your life to Jesus and have a fun walk with him. And the problem is it becomes this, this gospel of behavior management. And the focus we've been beginning to pursue and starting to see fruit is that if we focus on the beliefs, the behaviors will worry about themselves. If we can help the young people and each other, and this is a truth for all of us this morning, I hope we can glean from, that if you and I can focus on our beliefs, head and heart, your behaviors will disappear. The sin disappears because we're so caught up in the love of God. And so what I want our youth at Chicago and our church at Dural and all of us to believe is how much God loves you, how chosen you are, how unique you are, the gifts you have. And when we begin to believe in that, our belief of God and us transforms our lives as we focus on beliefs and not behaviors. And so some final images to look at for us. Um, David himself got this truth, and that's why he was known as a man after God's own heart. And he learned this in an incredible way. And in, in, in one of um, the most famous Psalms, we read in Psalm 42, David pens. He's in a lonely and dark place. And he says, 
As the deer pants for streams of water, my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, the living God. Where can I go and meet this God? My tears have been my food day and night. As the deer pants for the streams of water. Um, I heard an awesome illustration about this using the photo of Bambi. And Bambi, famous, lovely little Disney story. I used to hear this psalm and I thought, oh, that's a lovely little deer, just lovely little Bambi drinking from the stream. Unfortunately, that is not a very good teaching because we're talking about the desert. We're talking about the Judean desert of biblical times. And this deer that's searching and thirsting for water could die. And so rather, actually, this isn't Bambi, this is a deer in the desert. And I've got a photo here in Israel that, not sure if that is a goat or a deer, but I'm going to go with a deer. I couldn't get confirmation, but it's it's close. I think it's a deer, but there were goats and deers. Google Images was stitching me up. Anyway, the deer is thirsting for water. That's the picture David is getting at. The greatest king, man after God's heart. That's the kind of thirst you and I need to have. Not just this little Bambi hanging out with Thumper, that kind of gig. No, this is a, a thirst in the desert. Jesus himself, after meeting the woman at the well, the disciples said, you haven't eaten any food. What have you been doing, Jesus? He goes, ah, 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 ah. my food is to do the will of the Father who sent me and finish his work. Jesus said that his food is to do the work of God. That's what feeds our souls. And that's what you and I can hunger and thirst for this morning, like David and like Jesus. And that as we hunger and thirst, that stirs our faith in our hearts, our faith and our belief with God, that we are righteous, but we're growing in righteousness to see heaven change us and to change our friends, families and communities. And that's our heart as the centre. That's why we built this place. It's all about faith. Hebrews 11 says we can't please God without faith. It's impossible. And so our beliefs reflect our faith and our faith is in our hearts. And so what we believe in our hearts about God and his love for us and what Jesus did for us will change the way you walk, talk and live. And then we start to see a life of hunger and thirst that gets me pretty excited. And it gets us to start living in pretty radical ways. Like the story of the two guys that got their paralyzed friend and climbed the roof, got through the crowds, cut a hole out in the roof, dropped their friend down. And Jesus in this little house goes, what's going on? A man drops through the roof. That's the kind of hunger and thirst for righteousness that they believed in Jesus and they wanted to see the paralyzed man healed. And Jesus, what did he heal first? He healed the heart. He forgave the sin and the Pharisees said, you can't do that. And Jesus said, yeah, I can. I'm the son of God. Now get up and walk. He healed the sin and he healed the body. And what we see, their faith in Jesus and his righteousness, both the righteousness that sin is no longer an issue because Jesus can forgive, but also the righteousness that that God can heal here and now. And that's the kind of hunger and thirst and the vision and dream that I yearn for in the church, that we wouldn't just enjoy reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, John and Acts, 
that wherever the disciples went, there were signs and wonders that accompanied them, signs that made the world wonder. There's more miracles in poorer countries because they hunger and thirst more. And we've stopped believing and desiring that that God can and he will do that through our faith if we pursue it and we hunger for it. And that is my heart for the church. That was the thing that drew me in to becoming a pastor and a leader. Paul, in his prayer for the church, stirs me and it's become my prayer. In Ephesians 3, I've got it on the screen, we read that, that Paul prayed over the church and I declare it over us this morning that out of the glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. This prayer is one of the prayers that changed my life in the Bible. 3D was pretty transforming technology for society. Here we've got 4D God. Wide, width, length, height and depth. We are pursuing the righteousness of God that we've been given that is endless and vast. We are pursuing that. That is what Jesus is saying. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for it, for you will be filled. And here, we what, what are we being filled with the poor praise? The measure of the fullness of God. Him who can do immeasurably more than what you ask and dream of. At the worship and prayer night this week, there were 70 of us upstairs in the upper room desperately praying for the immeasurably more that God can do. And that reflects our faith and our hearts and and that is the stirring we want to have as God's people. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. Paul in 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, We all with unveiled faces, I looked at this text with you this year, with unveiled faces beholding the mirror of the glory of the Lord, we're being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. The, The King James uses this idea that we are being changed each day from glory to glory. I wonder if we focus a little bit less on our sin and more on the glory of God so that we could go from glory to glory. And you might ask, well, what does that look like? I can't tell you this morning. We run out of time. But that is the beauty of searching for the the 4D glory of God, the loving, gentleness, kindness, and goodness. That is the unfathomable mystery of God. That is his signs and wonders and miracles that that change hearts, that heal bodies, that bring comfort to those who are experiencing suffering. That is the power of God that we can hunger and thirst for, both in us and through us, into our workplaces, our families and our friends. 
And Jesus promises to fill you. He promises reward. There will be reward for this hunger and thirst. If you spend time over the next few weeks reading Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Jesus continues teaching the secrets. If you want to go from glory to glory, read his secrets. He says, if you don't tell anyone that you're praying and fasting, if you go and hide in your room and you pray and fast, I'll reward you. That is one teaser I'll give you of going from glory to glory. That is a secret in the secret place that God says, you go there each day, I will reward you in Matthew 6. I will reward you. I'm going to invite the band up and I'd love just to pray for you this morning and then we're going to go into a time of, of, of just worshipping through praise and then uh, some, some tea and coffee together. But just as as we spend this, this last moment, I encourage us not just to sing a song and, and walk out and grab a tea or coffee, but, but if this is something in your hearts that's stirring, if you want to grow your hunger and thirst, bring that to the light and say, I want to thirst like the deer that pants for water. I want to see God's glory in my life, in, in my friends and family life, in people that do not know God. And I want them to know that God loves them, not that he's angry, but that through Jesus we are made righteous. We are holy, chosen, and loved. Let's pray. God, I just pray this over us this morning here at Dural, that we have been given the righteousness of God. Peace joy and righteousness. That's your kingdom and we've inherited it. We have an inheritance this morning and I pray that we would receive it afresh and we would pass it on to one another, onto our children, our grandchildren, our friends and our families. So God, we receive this morning. We receive you again. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he has made us perfect and beautiful. We hunger and thirst for you right now to continue speaking to us and transforming our lives from glory to glory. Amen.